Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. The issues that John is writing to are serious issues. Now, we live in a day and age where every issue seems to be serious and the worst thing that's ever happened to us in our life. I can't believe they put a stoplight there. What were they thinking? Ruined my day. Every issue is a big issue. But this was an issue where people were leaving the church, not because they were mad at the color of the carpet or the curtains or the music. They were leaving the church, the church of God, which was really made known by them leaving a local church or a local assembly, but they were leaving true doctrine and following other doctrines. This was happening in John's day, 1900 plus years ago, and it's happening today. And there is a great falling away happening in the church, not just in America, but around the world, but specifically in America. And so the same issue that John is addressing in 1 John, his letter here to the church, we need to hear it today. And so today we're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. If you want to stand as we honor God's perfect holy word, we'll read it together and then hang out a while. Little children, it is the last time or last days, more specifically, the last hours. Has everybody figured that out yet? We're living in the last days. We're living in the last hours. Uh, one of the preachers I follow a lot, and he's not really an old dead guy, just a dead guy who was old. <laughs> Some of you appreciate that. Um, he said, it's not like we're looking toward the end times, as in taking a trip to the Grand Canyon. We're 500 miles away, we're on our way there. He said, it's getting there and knowing that a few more feet and we're off into it. We're, we're on the edge, if you will, quite honestly, of something big about to happen. You've heard that the Antichrist shall come, the Antichrist shall come, but John says, let me tell you that right now there are many Antichrists, plural, whereby that's how we know that it is the last day or the last time. They went out from us. Now, you got to be careful here and not call names. They went out from us. Who? The Antichrist. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or made known that they were not of us. But you, see that contrast? But you have an unction, an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. I knew there was a verse about me somewhere in Scripture. <laughs> Some of you can own that one too. I've not written you, church, believers, anointed ones, because you know not the truth, but because you know it. And that no lies of the truth. 
Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He, the denier, who denies Jesus is the Christ, he is antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Whosoever denies the Son has not, the same has not the Father. He that, however, acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Father, thank you for your word. Bless it. Help me to say only that that would be profitable for growth, for discipleship, and for evangelism. God, may your Holy Spirit today make the distinguishments as to who is and who isn't. Those who acknowledge who Jesus is and those who deny it. Those who are speaking the truth, living the truth, and those who are are living a lie. I can't do that, but you can. We ask you to do it in this morning, in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We started this series on authentic Christianity, and today we're going to look at, and I don't know that anybody's ever used this title, The Last Day Liars. Now, when I say that word, I am very aware that no one likes to be called a liar. We have um, disciplined our children when they call someone a liar. I didn't say we beat them. Some of you got nervous there for a second. But we try to um, reprove children when they tell their little sister, you're a liar. And nobody likes to be called a liar. I've got a sneaky suspicion that not a grown man or woman in here would um, be all right if the person next to you looked over and said, you're just a big fat liar. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be a lot of fellowship going on, at least on that row. My mom used to said, there'll be no liars in heaven. Now, there's not a verse that says it exactly like that. But most of you had moms or dads that didn't need a verse. They couldn't find it any, but it was there somewhere. There'll be no liars in heaven. Now, there, there are verses of Scripture that indicate that there'll be no this type of liars in heaven. But John, really, and, and it's interesting, John, John is the one that usually looks like a woman at the Last Supper picture. He's all, he always looks very feminine laying on Jesus, and everybody thinks of John as this softy. But John throws the word liar around like a, like a conjunction. And here in this case, it's important for us to notice why he uses such a strong word. Now, I did the research for you. The word liar means to tell lies. It really does. Even in the Greek, it means someone who lies. It's someone who propagates falsities. That sounds a little more academic, doesn't it? And John uses it, he's used it before, and now he's using it again, and he's using this word to demonstrate or to really bring into focus how serious it is in how you answer the question of who Jesus is. 
John says that anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is a liar. I told you weeks ago that this letter was written to reprove or to help serious issues in the church, doctrinal issues in the church. And one way to fix doctrinal issues in the church is to preach the doctrine of Jesus. And John, in this letter, is really teaching the doctrine of Jesus. And here in this point in chapter two, he calls out a specific problem as it relates to the doctrine of Jesus. And that is denying that Jesus is who Jesus is. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. And it wasn't just a problem in John's day, and we'll see in just a second if I ever really get started, that it's a big problem today. I've said it before, you, you just want to make an awkward conversation in your life, just start talking about Jesus. I didn't say get in your, you know, tomorrow and cafeteria, seventh grader, and stand on the table and start preaching John 3.16. That'll be real awkward. It'd be fun for me to hear about if you do it in Rowan Salisbury. I'd like to hear that. But, but at the water cooler or, you know, right after you talk about the Panthers losing, um, no, they're not going to lose tomorrow. We'll see. But after you talk about whatever, Colorado or the whatever happens, um, say, hey, by the way, we never talk about this much, but what do you think about Jesus? There is something special about the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is life-changing power in the name of Jesus. It's an interesting name. It's an intriguing name. It's the only name given among men whereby you must be saved. When you start talking about Jesus, when they expect you to talk about football, it'll get a little weird. Or talking about the Amazon deals you just got this week. I had to go to the other side of the spectrum and, and say, hey, by the way, I got a good deal on Amazon, but what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? I get into reading some of the statistics and the polls, and then it really makes me want to throw something or preach. John said finally in 1 John 5, and we're still introducing here, this is the last chapter. This is a reminder. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that you know, that you know, that you have eternal life. This is the purpose, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. This is the ultimate purpose for John writing this letter to the church, so that you know. And right here in chapter 2, he throws out a word in so many words and says, church, there's a lot of liars among us. And in the last days, there'll be more and more and more. I'm not talking just everybody relax. Everybody relax. Some of you look tense all of a sudden. Relax that I'm not talking about you lied about, y'all waiting to hear what I say. 
the size of the fish you caught. Or we went on a men's trip to Mountain Air to play golf and you lied about your score. <laughs> or you fill in the blank. We're talking about someone, by the way, we're not talking about the liar who scammed me out of Panthers tickets this past week. <laughs> I sent him a Bible verse. Found out he was scamming. I, I can tell, help you all. The staff knows about it. I warned them because I was the idiot this time. So the Panthers play tomorrow at 7, and guess who's not going? <laughs> My son doesn't even know this. And um, it's fun, but we can't talk about it now because I'll go over time. But I sent him a Bible verse. It's one of my favorites. He kept responding to me after I knew he scammed me. So he's probably some redneck in Enochville somewhere <laughs> faking to be somebody that I thought he was. I checked on the guy. I checked on the guy with a friend of mine. Is this guy, you trust this guy? Yeah, well, the problem is the guy that he trusted wasn't selling me the tickets. He was just selling them under his name. And there were no tickets. So I learned. I sent him a good old Romans Bible verse. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. <laughs> I really did. That's the God's honest truth I sent it. I hope he reads it and gets saved. <laughs> or God burns. Anyway. So if anybody's got some Panther tickets laying around... <laughs> And you you're not busy tomorrow night. No, not you busy. I'm not busy. I don't want to go with you. I was, anyway. John makes it very clear in this text that authentic Christianity is evidenced by a person's acknowledgement of who Jesus is. We can tell a lot of lies. And we probably have told our fair share. But there's one lie that we don't ever want to be guilty of. And that's saying that you know Jesus saying that you're born again, saying that you're on your way to heaven, and knowing in your heart of hearts that you're lying. And it's not my job to point out the liars. It's my job to preach the truth and let the Holy Spirit of God convict you of your lying liarness. And the church is full, Sunday after Sunday, Sunday school classes are full, Sunday after Sunday, all over America with people who John calls liars. He mentions in this text some characteristics. I don't know what's worse, which is worse to be called, a liar or an antichrist, but he first talks about the antichrist. Now, those who love Revelation get excited, but this is not the Antichrist he's talking about. He does allude to him. He says in verse 18, as many of you have heard, the Antichrist shall come, who's speaking of the Antichrist, the, the final world ruler energized by Satan who will replace and oppose the true Christ. That is going to happen. And as the world turns, we start to see how this could happen. We're not here to talk about that today, but I hope you're awake, I hope you're alert, I hope you're very aware of how this could happen and how someone could come on the scene and bring peace to everybody, every world, every country, and all that goes along with that. 
But that's not the message for today, although some of you probably wish it was. But we're, we're, we're ready for that. He says that Antichrist will come, but the Antichrist, plural, S, are here now. They were here 2,000 years ago, and they're here now. Now, I've got to qualify what I said earlier. He's not just talking about false believers or false professors. Maybe, and probably even more specific, he's talking about false teachers, those who are propagating a false gospel and convincing people that Jesus isn't who he said he is. And what's happened is in the church, there were some people being deceived and leaving the church. Not over baptism, but over the doctrine of Jesus. And ultimately, it kind of trickles down to the, the person in the pew, the person on the roll. Who, who, do you, who are you believing? Are you believing the true teacher or are you believing the false teacher? And that's all a matter of life and death. So he says, this is how we know we're living in the last time, last days, last hours. It's real simple. We get nervous about that. Uh, here, here's a, it, it may help you out. It may make you upset. I don't know. But we've, we've been living in the last days or the last hours since Jesus ascended. And we'll be living in the last days, this time frame, until he returns. Second coming. I have to throw this in. Second coming is the end point of the last days. But I believe there is another point in time where the church will be called, up, called away. There are lots of warnings, lots of illustrations, lots of Bible that tell you signs of the second coming not a whole lot, if any, about the rapture. This is just extra. If you don't like this part, just hit snooze right now and we come back later. But church, the signs that we have are about the second coming. And if we believe the rapture is going to happen before the second coming, guess what? It just might happen when you don't expect it. But when we see the signs of the second coming very clearly... It ought to alert us to the next event on the calendar of God for the believers, the church of God. John is the only writer that actually refers to the Antichrist here as Antichrist. Paul refers to him as the son of perdition. Other times, even in, in the Old Testament, we hear about it. But what, what's important here is that we understand that what John, who John is talking about, are the Antichrists, plural. Not this man at the end time. Really, maybe a better understanding is the spirit of Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says to the church there, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin may be revealed the son of perdition. So we see the Antichrist there, but we also see in this verse the falling away. The falling away of professors is going to happen because of false teachers convincing and deceiving. And then he says, right now the Antichrist are here. John talks about in 1 John chapter 4 the spirit of Antichrist. Beloved, 
Children of God, believers, don't believe every spirit. Got that one checked. I don't believe it. But try the spirits whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets are gone into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now is in the world. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to look around and know that we're living in a day and age where the spirit of Antichrist is prevalent all around us. You don't have to be an English teacher, I don't think, to know that anti means against. Against Christ. In the place of Christ. Instead of is the other definition. Quite a while ago, I don't have a date and time, don't keep it in my little book, I was somewhat criticized, that didn't hurt my feelings, I, I just remember, because I had called someone an antichrist. And, and I think what happened is, maybe people just thought that was just not a good term. I wasn't calling a person the antichrist, I was talking about people like you and I that are, that are antichrist, that they are antichrist. Because that's what an antichrist is. Not the antichrist, those antichrists. And we're around a lot of antichrists. And they're living where we live, they're working where we work, and they're going to school where we go to school, and they might be teaching where we go to school, whether it's in elementary, middle, high, college. They're everywhere, they're in the government. Now, do they go around saying, I'm, I'm Senator so-and-so, Antichrist? No. But we can know them by their fruits, where they stand, what they stand for, what they stand against. So he gives three characteristics of these Antichrists. First of all, Antichrists depart the church. That's pretty obvious. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They were not of us. Verse 19, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. I've said this weeks ago, and it's really important for us to understand. John's not talking about church hoppers. He's not talking about, about um, preacher religion. He's not talking about people who like a certain type of music and leave the church for another church that's got that type of music. Now, I'm not an idiot most days of the week. And I know that churches are full of all these people that I just mentioned. And only God knows if they're truly born again or not. Now, I've got opinions. I think if you're truly born again, you wouldn't get so tore up over such petty stuff. That's just me. This side doesn't agree with that, but the few over here do, that's good. <laughs> I think if you're born again and you're spiritually mature, you don't let those little things bother you. He's not talking about those people. He's talking about people who left the true church.
I know we have visitors come every week, and that's great, but it makes me feel like I gotta repeat something from three and four weeks ago just to make sure everybody gets the context, and that's fine, I like to review. But we're living in a different, on our end, church age, church culture in America especially. Where people that he's referring to may grow up in a Baptist church, a gospel preaching Baptist church. They may be enrolled in Sunday school. They may give, they may give a full tithe. And they may have been in that church for 20 years. They may have Sunday school superintendent stickers that they've got framed at home. Banners, vacation Bible school certificates and trophies. And they grow up and they decide at some point, not that they're mad at the preacher or don't like the music, but that they just don't believe what they believe anymore. And I want to make it clear for everyone, I don't believe Scripture teaches that you can be saved and get unsaved. So that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who have professed salvation based on the truth of this book, but then suddenly they don't believe this book. They never were saved. They're lost, and they were lost. There's a lot of people playing the game, playing church, week after week, going through the motions. John's saying some of these people left the church. They didn't just maybe decide on their own. They had some help. They started reading somebody. They started listening to somebody. They started listening to a podcast of a guy or a lady who starts preaching non-biblical truths, if that's a thing. And they were, my third point here is they were deceived and they bought into it. And they left the church. 25% of Americans today identify as nuns. Not Catholic nuns, N-U-N, but nuns, N-O-N-E-S. It's, it's one of the fastest, I'll call it a religion for time's sake. It's one of the fastest religions in America, fastest growing religions in America today. Nuns. As simple as it is, they ask you, what are you? Not what are you. Yeah, that's a weird answer today from a lot of people. <laughs> well, it depends on what time it is. I don't know. But uh, spiritually speaking, religiously speaking, what are you? Are you um, Christian? Are you Jehovah's Witness? Are you Mormon? Are you Hindu? Are you Muslim? Are you Islam? I'm none of those. If you dig deeper, you'll find a lot of nuns who used to be in Baptist churches. A lot of the nuns, the majority, the overwhelming majority of that 25% of Americans who identify as nuns, the overwhelming majority of them are millennials and younger who have been brainwashed in public school and in college and decided they don't believe it anymore. 
They didn't get unsaved, church. They never believed it, because I can't explain it all anyway. It's all by faith. It's not like somebody can scholarly, academically teach me that that didn't happen. I couldn't have done it in the first place. I couldn't have explained the miracles in the first place. It was all by faith, so why would I be able to unexplain them? That's something that every church, and thank God for a church that I can see little ones to old ones. Somebody say amen. That's a healthy church. Bring your babies here. We go over there and we hear a bunch of crying and screaming. Walked over there this morning about ruining my Sunday morning. Didn't smell like breakfast. Ugh. It was bad. But thank God that, it, that it's that way. And not every church is that way. We've got them all. We're covering the spectrum around here, at least in age. But for a church that's halfway healthy, that's got young and old, that ought to be an asterisk in every pastor and youth pastor and pastoral staff's heart, mind, and soul is we got to do something about this group who's suddenly believing in nothing. And it's a sad day when they grow up in the same church and decide they don't believe it anymore. I'm not saying it's all our fault or the church's fault, but if we know it, we ought to do something about it. We ought to make sure we strategically disciple those who say they're born again. We're trying our best to do that here. You're not coming up to me, you've heard this, and I'm just going to throw it out there. You're not coming up to me as a 10-year-old and saying, I got saved, I want to be baptized. And we just say, hey, show up next week with a towel. That's not how it works. I've been there. I got baptized with the catfish at High Rock Lake. And all the discipleship I had was, we're going to have hot dogs after. That was it. But then I got really baptized after real salvation. So that, that's good. It, your pastor is saved. That's good. <laughs> but that's not happening around here. There's not some teenager going to Pastor Justin saying, hey, I got saved. How can I get baptized next Sunday night? And he said, yeah, just, just show up. They'll baptize you. Doesn't happen. Now, that sounds silly. I hope it sounds silly. It should sound silly. But it happens. It's happening. And there are people that go to college and get out and they're 25 years old and the only thing they're holding on to is I got baptized. And then suddenly they decide, you know what, that's kind of silly. I don't believe any of that stuff. And say so they lost it. They never had it. Somebody makes a decision. We've got to disciple them. We've got to teach them what it really means to follow Jesus. Teach them what it really means to be baptized, why we're baptized. They left the church. It's nothing new. It's been happening forever. I've got Old Testament verses if you want to hear it, but you don't, so I'll send you the text if you want to. Antichrist deny Christ. That sounds obvious, doesn't it? They don't just depart the church. They deny Christ. And this is really important for us to understand. John said in 1 John 4, I read it. I won't read it again, but believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Test the spirits. I, I, I call out people enough and upset some people, but, so I'm not going to do that today specifically. But you've got to be careful who you listen to. And just because they wear a $5,000 suit and they got a big church and a pretty wife and a nice golden retriever doesn't mean that you can trust them. And just because they say flowery things that make you feel good about yourself 
doesn't mean you can trust their doctrine. And there's, a, there's too many leading thousands of people that when they're put to the test and asked specific questions about Jesus, they don't give the Bible answer. They deny Christ. And Matthew chapter 16 is one of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures. In just a few months, we'll be in Israel, and we're going to go to Caesarea Philippi. It's a place where they worshiped idols. Satan was worshiped there. You can still see the places carved into the side of the mountain. They had temples set up. It was a place of uh, kind of an epicenter of idol worship right in the middle of the heyday of Jesus' ministry. And he says, disciples, let's go on a field trip. And he takes them there. And they're right in the middle. You can't see it the way he saw it, but there's temples and there's idols. And he brings them there. There's a a cave that goes where the springs, and they call it basically the mouth of hell. They knew where they were at. I wonder if their parents signed the waiver, but they knew where they were at. They go on the field trip, and Jesus says, hey, guys, who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Isaiah or one of the other prophets. And then he looks them all, and I believe he looked them in the eye, and he said, but who do you say that I am? It really matters who you say Jesus is. Today we live in a, especially in America, where we're the melting pot. Fortunately or unfortunately, depends on how you look at it, North Carolina is really a microcosm of the melting pot of America. I've been a North Carolinian all my life. Rowan County, redneck, most of it. And I... I really, and I'm quite old enough now where I can say, if somebody would have told me when I graduated high school that I would see all the nationalities and religions I see today on a regular basis, I would have probably thought, nah, that ain't happening here. But if you're brave enough and can sneak in with your carry concealed, um, go to Concord Meals. <laughs> I'm serious. There used to be a door that didn't have the sign on it. I always went in that door, but anyway. Um, some of you read, oh, they got a sign? I've been going in there. <laughs> they got a sign, but they don't have metal detectors, all I can say. So anyway, so. <laughs> but I ain't going in there without some ammunition, I promise you. But go in there and walk around. One of the last times me and my wife went, we were walking around, and it's been a while. Because I don't go there. I don't want to have to shoot with somebody. But anyway, so I'm walking around, and um, I was like, this is going to sound... White, okay, I'm going to tell you, which I identify as white, Caucasian. I walked around, and we were walking, and I was like, have you noticed? And I don't think I had to get it out of my mouth, because she's white too. And she was like, um, I said, we're like the only, I didn't even say white, Americans in here. (laughs) And on one hand, that's great, the world is coming to us. But on the other hand, The world is coming to us, and they're bringing all of their religions, and they're bringing all of their customs, and they're bringing all of their cultures, and some some constitutionalists out there, I feel it coming back saying, yeah, but this is a place for every religion to come. You're right. We were established for freedom of religion. You're right, but you kind of got to know some context. 
but they're bringing in their religions. And I don't know if this will make you mad or make you say amen. And they're sneaking in from beneath by the millions. And they're not all Catholic Hispanics. A lot of Muslims. Got a lot of information up here, and I know what time it is. CNN. Amen, brother. Yeah, CNN, Clinton News Network, um, has a story last year that by 2040, Islam will be the number two religion in America. Now, some of you don't research it yet, all right? But when you do research it, you'll say, yeah, but the numbers are really low comparative to Christianity. Granted, but they'll still be number two. I'm gonna probably offend somebody in the next seven minutes, I can promise you. But, no, but within Christianity stats, they include all Protestants, including Catholics, which make up almost the majority of American Christians. Y'all with me? Y'all see where I'm going? Okay. America is changing. And the world is coming here, and the world's religions are coming here. So what does that have to do with 1 John chapter 2? A whole bunch. Because your kids and my kids and your kids and grandkids and their grandkids and all those kids are going to be surrounded by a plethora of religious views. And they're going to hear things that they never heard before. And they're going to be friends with a Buddhist or friends with a Hindu or friends with a Muslim. And they should be, if they're in, they should be friends with them. Everybody good with that? Jesus would have been friendly to them, but then he would have told them the truth, and he would have told them why he believed the truth. Well, he would have probably said, I am the truth, but, you know, our, our kids can't do that. They're liars. But <laughs> we have to be friendly and then teach them the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Y'all were with me about 12 minutes ago, right? But we got to train our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they know why they believe what they believe so they can defend their faith when necessary. Oh, I got so much stuff. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhist, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, and just in case, Catholicism. 50 years ago, you probably wouldn't have ever had a preacher saying, we need to be ready to talk to these people about this. But today, we need to know what they believe. I really have a lot of information, but here's the bottom line. How do you judge any of these religions on whether they're true or not? And there's, there's other ones now. I mean, there's other facts and sects of all these different religions. What do they say about Jesus? That's the test. What do they say about Jesus, 
In 2021, CBN actually had a poll, CBN, not CBS. Y'all let me do this because you'll just get stressed. Don't, don't go researching this kind of stuff. Just let me do it for you. I, don't, I, get, I get spiritual, I get stressed, and I get ticked off, and then all this, I don't know what to do with it. But according to CBN, and this is 65% of Americans, by the way, this is not CBN, I still today identifies Christian. 65%. Now that's, that's reduced, that's shrunk from 80s, 80% within the last 20 years. But 65% still claim to be Christian. CBN says, 60, listen to the word, 60% of born-again Christians believe Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad are all equal in regards to salvation. Did y'all hear the first part? 60% of self-professing born-again Christians. How did they get there? I don't think some born-again Christian pastor told them that. I'm sure the Word of God didn't tell them that. So where did they get it from? Antichrist. Antichrist depart the church. They deny Christ. The last point here is they deceive the church. Deceive Christians. Christians. Who is a liar, verse 22, but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? These things... Verse 26, he says, have I written to you concerning them that seduce you or deceive you? All roads lead to God. Man, that sounds great. If I could say it with a Texas twang, it'd sound even better. And this false, this false approval, this false hope that that God would somehow allow someone who's been a Muslim all their life, a peaceful, dedicated Muslim all their life, to get to heaven and stand before God, and God said, well, you were true to your religion, you were faithful, enter into the joys of heaven. That's a prevailing belief in this messed up country of America. And it didn't happen because people studied the word of God and found it out. It happened because there were false preachers and false teachers telling them this junk. I didn't say they were in a Baptist church. I'm not fussing at Baptist churches. But if it's happening, kick them out. Kick them out. Vote them out. Kick them out. Do the whole thing. Get rid of them. Let them go somewhere else. Peddle their trash. He gives characteristics of Antichrist, and then he gives characteristics of authentic Christians, and I'm going to stop. But you, verse 20, who's he talking to? Christians. I read behind one guy who said, but you, and he threw this in, but Christians have a built-in lie detector test. Now, that's out of the message version. That's not out of, you know, just kidding. No. But you, Christians, have an unction or an anointing from the Holy One. Christians, true believers, have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, and they know better. They can tell a lie when it's being told. 
Not just because they know scripture, but because they had the Holy Spirit dwelling within them saying, that ain't right. That's what my, my Holy Spirit Southern. That ain't right. No, just That's a lie. Don't you believe that? It's not just, and this is important, we have an anointing by the Spirit, and I'm going through this quickly, but it's not that the Holy Spirit is, in this case, it's not that it is alone in this characteristic. And I'll explain. We do have the Holy Spirit living within us. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is within us, or on us. But this, in this context, the anointing is not independent of the Word of God. It's really important for us to understand the context of this, and you're checked out, and I can tell most of you are, so I'll, I can't explain, but. Remember when the two disciples were on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection of Jesus? They were, they were talking about it. They're like, man, I don't know what in the world is going on. Y'all, I can't believe this stuff. And Jesus shows up and walks with them. It's like, hey, tell me what's happening. Have you not heard? No, tell me the story. And they tell Jesus the story of his resurrection. I love that. It's great. And then it says that, that Jesus um, took a left and they took a right. And it says there that after he left, that they were made aware. He shed some light on the scriptures, is what it said. And that's what happens when a child of God studies the word of God, the spirit of God illuminates their mind to what the word of God means, what the word of God is, that the word of God is truth. And just like anything that's phony, we can tell what's phony by knowing what's real. And by knowing what's real, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we ought to be able to say, liar. Don't say it like that. But when he's on TV propagating the garbage instead of the gospel, we say, liar. Just not out loud and mean and ungodly. And when the kids come home and say, well, I heard the other day uh, from one of my friends that uh, a boy's a liar. No, just don't say it though. No, we know that's a lie. And when he says, daddy, why is that a lie? Say, because it's contrary to the word of God. It's contrary to the gospel. It's contrary to the Holy Spirit that illuminates our minds to the gospel and the true message. And we know it's garbage, not gospel. So, well, what if they're right? Oh, did anybody have that thought in their mind? Please don't raise your hand if you did. What if we're wrong? My Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I believe it's not just that I read it and by faith I believed it, but I believe the Holy Spirit convicted me. We Baptists get nervous about it. But the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sins and my need for salvation, and then he came to take up an abode within me. We're not just going blind. Oh, I hope I can find a verse for that one. We've got the Holy Spirit's power, resurrection power, dwelling within us. So we know when it's garbage or when it's gospel. 
I wouldn't dare look a person in the eye in this room unless you just really made me mad and lied and called you a liar. I wouldn't do that. Probably wouldn't do it in church either way. I'd probably say, let's walk out. I'm going to call you a liar. <laughs> but in an interesting way, and I've said this before, it's probably one of the most intimidating, maybe even scary verses in all of Scripture, in my opinion, is one day there will be people standing before God. And it's, it's hard to imagine, but with a little truth and a little enlightenment from the Holy Spirit, you can see how it would happen. There will be people that stand before God and say, did we not cast out demons? Did we not preach? Did we not go to church? Did we not get perfect attendance? Did we not give money? And your name and he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. This is important. I never knew you. Iniquity is an interesting word there. You practice, those who practice lawlessness. It's very similar to what we're talking about in the Antichrist. It's been hard for me to believe that someone could think they're Christian. No. Remember last week, lust of eyes, lust of flesh, pride of life? People are easily deceived by the wicked one. But there will be people standing before God who hear, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. It puts the burden on me and this church and it ought to be on every Bible-believing church that we preach the gospel complete, accurate as the inspired word of God and make no bones about it. Because the weight's on our shoulders, the church's shoulders, the pastor's shoulder, that I don't preach something that would send somebody to meet God fooled. And I'll make a lot of mistakes. I have made and I will make some more. But there's one thing I'm bound and determined. We're not going to mess that up here at this church. I'm not going to be responsible for somebody standing before God. And I could say, well, I, we, we dropped the ball. I'm not going to do that. So here's the question. If you're around those guys at the gates of hell, at Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus looks at the disciples, and you've been walking around with him, Judas walked around with them everywhere. Judas was there in Matthew 16. When Jesus said, who do men say that I am? I, I believe he probably, amen, when Peter said, you're the Christ. That's right, brother, Peter. But if you're there and Jesus looks, and I, I hate to even say it this way, but I believe, I, I don't, I believe the question Jesus would ask all of us today is the same question he asked them in Matthew 16. And I believe if he had the platform today, he could say something like this. Hey, Central Baptist Church, everybody hanging out here today, who, who are people around town saying I am? 
middle schooler, high schooler. Hey, what, what are people over at South Rowan saying about me? Who do they say? What do people at L. Brown say? What do people, what are, what are people say? Hey, those of you who work downtown Charlotte, what, what are people downtown Charlotte saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And I believe just as much as 2,000 years ago, we could say, well, some say you're um, a prophet. Y'all with me? Y'all following? Y'all stood here? Some say you're, um, some say you're the son of God, but not God. I'm going back to my notes here, okay. Some say you're a God, but there's a lot of other gods. The Mormons, I mean, the Latter-day Saints, I mean, some say that you're one God of many gods who have your own planet, and um, God is your real physical father who had you. And their denominations growing by leaps and bounds somehow. And in the same way he did to them, he didn't say, well, let's talk about it. I think he would say this, but who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? Not what your friend says, not what your mom says, not what the church says, not what that crazy pastor, who do you say that I am? And the answer is this. This is the biblical answer, not the preacher answer. You're God. You're the son of God. You were born of a virgin. You were conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus lived perfect, never committed one sin. I believe Jesus died sacrificially for the sins of the world. I believe Jesus was buried. I believe he rose from the dead three days later, victorious over death and hell by the power of God. Amen. Yes. I believe he hung out a while and then ascended up to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe Jesus is right now praying for us, ever living to make intercession. And I believe Jesus is coming back Amen. again. Yes. That's who the Bible, that's who Christians, that's who authentic Christians say Jesus is. Anything plus, anything minus is outside the word of God. I could make somebody mad, but I won't. But there's a lot of people today, and I'm, I experience it, I see it, I listen to it trying to give Catholics a pass. I'm just going to say this. You better be careful. You better be careful. A person, a man, a woman, a boy, or girl, who's born again, an authentic Christian, believes what this book says about Jesus. And here, since you're wondering, and he is the only way to God. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's who Jesus is. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful that we don't have to wonder who you are and who your son is. And we can know 
from your word. God, we're very aware that we live in a different day. There's a lot of different opinions about who your son Jesus is. God, we can't fix all those problems today. We can't fix all the churches. It's not our job. My job is to preach the gospel, to preach your son Jesus just the way your word says. And my desire in this room this morning was to do just that. To lay out the facts of who the Antichrist are and what they believe, but to teach your people and to teach someone here today who may not be born again what your word says. And God, may no person leave here today without knowing, believing, and confessing who your son Jesus is. Because of who he is and what he did, they can make him Lord of their life, trusting in him for salvation. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.